Let me say this morning, as always, it is very humbling to me and also an honor to be asked to fill in for our pastor today. We trust that you'll receive something out of God's Word this morning. We enjoy sharing God's Word. If you would, those of you who have your Bibles, turn to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, the 8th chapter. Jeremiah, the 8th chapter, will be using quite a few scriptures, a few verses in the 8th chapter of, of Isaiah. And just hold your place. We'll be in there in a minute. I have something to share first. But... As I was thinking about my message today, it would be so nice today to stand as many of our TV evangelists does and just just preach that God loves you where you are, what you're doing, just don't change. But that's not what God laid on my heart. I, one of those evangelists I watch quite a bit is Joel Osteen. He's built one of the biggest churches in America. And he's got a great gospel, but it's a one-sided gospel to me. There's no accountability, no judgment of God. It's all God loves you. And he's... Folks love it. They're filling it up. Thousands and tens of thousands of people. But sometimes you have to tell it like it is. Whatever God's laid on your heart today. And and it almost feels that my message today is the continuation of our Sunday school class discussion. The condition, the spiritual condition of our nation today. Pastor Bobby was speaking a couple of weeks ago about how he felt that our nation was in a downward spiral. How he felt that the coming of the Lord was very imminent, and I concur. Most everybody that I talk to concurs with that. We we believe that. Even in the Sunday school class, Boss Bobby was teaching a few Sundays back on how we as civilized Americans have become so tolerant of the radical religions in our nation today because we want to be nice people. But while we're being so tolerant, while we're allowing all of these radical religions in our country today, they are leading millions and millions of people down a destructive path. It's it's true, I believe, today that according to the information I have, we could really no longer call United States a Christian nation. I'll share some figures in a few minutes with you that would prove my point. I hate that, but I, but I believe, according to the surveys, that's what it would be like. All of these religions are telling us that all religions lead to God. Folks, that's a lie from the pits of hell. Jesus Christ says in, in, in John 14, 6, and Jesus Christ was God incarnate. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. That yesterday was before the creation of the world. The word was there. Jesus Christ, as the word, was there even before creation. He's there today, and he'll be the same. He'll be the same in the trillions of years of eternity. He changes not. He will not change. One of the ways that we can gauge, if you would, the spiritual condition of our nation is through surveys. And and many of you who've heard me speak before know that I use the George Barna surveys. You can Google it on the computer, and you can get them up. And it, and it takes surveys of, of what percent of our churches are living right, what percent of our people are doing right. But the last survey that I looked at was one to determine who holds a biblical worldview in our nation today. And before we give you the statistics, the percentages, you're asking, well, what is a biblical worldview? Well, we want to find out what a biblical worldview. We're going to give you a test today. 
Answer each question that I read with a yes or a no. And we'll determine if you hold a biblical worldview. The first question, do absolute moral truths exist? Answer it yes or no. Next question, is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? This is a question you think would be easy, but many folks fail this one. Is Satan real? Does a Christian have an obligation or responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with others? The last question today. Is the Bible accurate in all of its teaching? Could you answer yes to all of those today? If you did, you would be considered to have a biblical worldview. But let me share you some percentages that will amaze you. Across the board, Christians and non-Christians, only 2% of the people of America answered yes to all of them. Only 2%. Now breaking it down to born-again Christians, those who say they are born-again Christians, only 9% answered yes to all those questions. But you know... What's more important than the yes or no to these questions is what does our life reflect? Does our, does our life reflect what we're talking about? It's easy to say yes or no, but does our life reflect that? You know, granted, we are all sinners. We all fall short from time to time. But most of our gut reactions will reflect what we honest to goodness deep down feel that is true about any issue. There's a problem in America today, and we're going to talk about it a little bit today. I'm sure you're tired of hearing it. We, we discussed this in our Wednesday night prayer meeting, had special prayer for our nation. But here's one of the problems that we have. These non-biblical worldviews, these ideas, they just don't sit around in a book, in an obscure book somewhere waiting for somebody to dig them out and examine them. We are being bombarded through television, through radio, through newspapers, through movies, uh, through magazines, but folks, most of all, we're bombarded through academia, our institution of higher learning. They're teaching these heresies and these unbiblical ideas to our young pastors in seminaries across America. It's one of the reasons that we're having problems today. Because we live in a selfish, a fallen world these worldly ideas seductively uh, appeal to our flesh. Folks, we have a carnal flesh, whether you believe it or not. From the Garden of Eden, we were born with this carnal flesh. We have to keep it in submission. But these things appeal to our flesh. And many times we incorporate these worldly ideas into our worldviews without even knowing it. Many times. America's doing it. We said we'd share with you some percentages, and some of these percentages may shock you. But as Bobby said, I didn't write this, and don't shoot the messenger. I just got it off the Internet, and you can get it. I'm going to share some percentages with you that may shock you. But 
as we start out, we can feel good. We're going to look at Southern Baptists. I'm not pushing any denomination. Most of you know I'm not a strong denominational man. But this is good news. Southern Baptists, 71% have a biblical worldview. You can get this off the computer. I'm not picking on any denomination, any race, or anything. United Methodists, only 27% have a biblical worldview. Baptists other than Southern, there's a lot of Baptist organizations around, you know what they are. Other than Southern Baptists, I think some of them call the Baptist Fellowship, I don't know what all they call. But a lot of Baptist organizations other than Southern Baptists, 57% have a biblical worldview. Non-denominational churches are springing up everywhere. They're trying to be everything to everybody and they don't go by any denomination. The non-denominational, the Protestant non-denominational churches, 51% of those have a biblical worldview. Here's one that I'm a little disappointed in, a little bit surprised. Charismatic and Pentecostals, only 44% have a biblical worldview. The leading mainline denominations, and this would include Episcopal, Presbyterian, several more, uh, uh, 28% have a biblical worldview. Now, not to be racist in any way, I'm giving you the facts as they will come. It was across all races. Black pastors, only 35% of black pastors have a biblical worldview. Caucasian pastors, 60%, almost twice, 60% have a biblical worldview. The pastors that are least likely to have a biblical worldview are seminary graduates. That's shocking. That's our leaders. Gender, we're going to cross the gender line. Male pastors. That is, that's across the board, all denominations. Male pastors, 53% have a biblical worldview. Female, no reflection on our folks at Kishai, we love you. 15% of females, pastors, have a biblical worldview. Some self-made philosopher I was reading uh, in a book the other day, he made this statement that God created man after his own image. And now man is recreating God after the image of man. And this is the kind of God that many people think we have running the universe today. More and more states. We've talked about it on Wednesday night. We talked about it in our classrooms. You're aware. We don't even have to go over all of them. You know, more and more states are okay in same-sex marriage. More and more. The nation is dropping and to depravity at a rate that's, ne- that's, that's never been before. They're calling an alternate lifestyle what God calls an abomination. In, in Colorado, this year, January the 1st, it's legal to smoke pot for non-medicinal purposes, for any purpose. Our chaplains, we talked about this in our Sunday school class. Our chaplains now are not allowed to pray in Jesus' name anymore. How can a chaplain win someone to Christ if he can't mention Christ's name? Pastor Tarkenton and I talked with Jimmy Campbell when he came to visit a few uh, few months back. We asked him about this. 
And his answer was something like this. He said, well, you have to know what to say and when to say it. They're putting a, a muzzle on our prophets and our priests. They can't pray in Jesus' name anymore. The liberal courts now are ruling against any Judeo-Christian values more and more every day. We no longer live in a country where a majority rules. We can go to the expense of, of an election and pass moral laws only to have a liberal judge say it's unconstitutional. That's where we're at as we spiral downward in our country today. As Americans, more and more of them, become more and more depraved and more and more antichrist, they feel that as our values have gone down, we have to adjust God's word to fit our values. As like Pastor Tarkenton said, as a moving target. What happened to I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever? That's what they're doing. Hebrews 13.8 said that very same thing. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I change not. We want now to look, if you would, and we'll go to our our eighth chapter of Jeremiah. We want to look at some parallels today in the minutes we have with with the with the world that we live in versus the world that the prophet Jeremiah lived in. And there's a lot of similarities that we want to talk about today. Uh, we'll stay at, at chapter eight, verse one, but I want to look over in chapter seven to set the stage of what we're looking at today. What was the people of Israel like when Jeremiah the prophet came in? You know the story of Jeremiah the prophet. He he felt his work. He was called the weeping prophet. But this is what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. These are the words of God. I'm going to read the 23rd verse of the 7th chapter. And it goes like this. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. That's good advice for us today, folks. That's good advice for us. But what happened to the people of Israel? But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart. And went backwards and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt until this day, he says, I've sent my prophets and my servants unto you early in the morning, all day long, sent them to you. Well, what happened? Verse 26 says, yet they hearken not unto me, nor incline their ear, but harden their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Don't you sense our nation is worse today than it was for our fathers and our grandfathers? These are the parallels that we're looking at in, in, in the days of Jeremiah the prophet. I want to read Proverbs, one verse here, Proverbs 29 and 1. And it, and it says, He that being often reproved, and, and hardness his neck, or it also expresses stiffness his neck, shall suddenly 
be cut off, and another word is destroyed. And that without remedy. There's a point in nations and in people's lives that if you go on rejecting God, there's a point that he'll cut you off. Uh, Pastor Bobby shared with us Wednesday night one of those scriptures. But another one was in John 12, 37 through 40. There's a point that God won't always tarry with man. John quotes in, in, in verses 37 40 of the 12th chapter. He quotes Isaiah the prophet in saying that God will blind their eyes. Talking about a, a people that has rejected God. He will blind their eyes and harden their hearts so that they can't see or understand what God would have them to do. They were cut off without God because they continuously rejected God. In Romans one twenty eight, I had this written out long before we had Wednesday night, but Bobby used this in Wednesday night service. I wrote this sermon back in uh, the 1st of December. But uh, in Romans one twenty eight, we're talking about the sins of homosexuality. And it says, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. If they continued in the way they were living, they were without hope. Let's look at the next verse. Okay, chapter 27. Therefore... Thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they shall not hearken. They won't listen to you. God is telling the prophets that you speak to them, but they're not going to listen to you. Does it sound like today? Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth corrections. Truth is perished and is cut off from the mouth. This is a nation. It goes on, I won't read these, but it goes on to say, and you know the history of the nation of Israel. They had gone too far. Hopefully America hasn't gone too far. The, the Israelites had gone too far. You know the story of, of, and it talks about the slaughter. They slaughtered so many people there were nowhere to bury them. You know when God chose the Babylonians to come in and to punish the nation of Israel. They were destroyed as a nation. Only a remnant survived, a small remnant, and that's in captivity. And they were alive to go back and rebuild the temple. You know the story of how it took place. But they were never another nation until 1948. Many of you were living in 1948 when they become a nation again. But from the time they were destroyed, here's what we're talking about. The Babylonians destroyed them. They were no longer a nation until 1948. That's what happens when you reject God and you reach the point of no return. As we get into chapter 8 this morning, I'm going to read a little bit. There's a lot to read, and I don't want to read it all. At that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of the princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. Folks, this is the greatest sacrilege that could be committed in the nation of Israel. You, you, couldn't, sac- you, you couldn't treat a, a body bad. They had no, they had no way of embalming bodies in, in, in Israel. But they did in Egypt. So they had to bury them quick. And, and these were, it was a sacrilege to abuse a body in any way. Unheard of to take the bones out. And what does God say he's going to do with them? 
He says, I'm going to spread them before the sun, the moon, and the host of heavens, uh, whom they have loved and whom they have served and whom they have walked, whom they have sought and whom they have worshipped. These people were worshipping the sun gods and the moon gods. And now he's going to make a sacrilege out of their bones. Things that were precious of their kings, their priests, and their people. Lay them out in the sun. This was a sacrilege. And it said they shall be gathered. They shall not be gathered and they're not going to be buried. They shall be for dung upon the face of the earth. The greatest sacrilege that these people could go through with was this. And death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remain of this evil family. Talking about a residue. Most of Israel had been wiped out. A residue left. And death, we, we hear about in the last days of Revelation, people cry out for the rocks to kill them, but they can't die. This is the terrible times that's coming upon them. Death shall be chosen. Talk about the punishment. Folks, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to re- relay these parallels to you today. And, and I believe with all of my heart, if our nation doesn't turn around, we're facing the judgment of God. I, I, I see no other way. God says, I'm the same yesterday, today, forever. If he did it to Israel for rejection, he has to do it to us today. we got to turn our country around. Moreover, they shall say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not arise? Shall he turn away and not return? Verse 5. Why then is this people of Israel, of Jerusalem, slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit, and they refuse to return. Folks, if you're not as close to God today as you've ever been in your life, you've backslid. Not to the point of you losing out your salvation, but you're not as close to God as you were. You've backslid if you're not as close. Now, Israel had a perpetual backsliding. I believe they had backslid to the place that God turned his back on them. Let them be destroyed for a remnant to survive. They hold fast to the sea. I believe people in the pulpits of Bertie County and our nation have been deceived. They are preaching heresy instead of the true gospel. And people are being led, as I said, down a destructive path. I hearkened and not heard, verse 6, I hearkened and, and, and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented. Nobody repented. Himself of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? They won't repent. People in churches in our area, what have we done? We've done nothing wrong. They've been deceived. What have we done? They don't even see the wrong they've done. Their eyes, the scripture says God blinded their eyes. They can't even see. They're believing in a lie. They've been turned over to a reprobate mind. Folks, I don't want to see us get to that point. It says, everyone turneth to his course, going his way, says like a horse that rushes... Into battle, like a war horse rushes into battle. Let's go to verse 8. How do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Now it was commonly known that Israel was the, was the wise, was the wise, wisest of all the nations. They were considered to be the cream of the crop because 
the, the, the Savior came through them. The law came through them. So they were, they were at the point that they didn't need to be saved. They didn't need to be forgiven of their sins because they were blue blood, in other words. They don't have anything to be saved for. And so how do you say you're wise? And how do you say you have the law of the Lord with you? You've forsaken the law of the Lord. Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. Talking about the religious leaders were in vain. Writing and preaching uh, ungodly messages. Here's another one. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in their heart. Now, what is God going to do to them? He says, therefore, I will give their wives to others. Folks, the men are going to lose the wives. They're going to die. He says, I'm going to give you wives to other people. And their fields to them that inherit them. For everyone, everyone, from the least unto the greatest is given to covetances. From the prophet even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. Now here's a little good news. You're real bad, but you've done a little good news. Said you've healed my country just a little bit, but not enough. There's a little goodness in Israel. There's always a little goodness there. A little pocket of goodness. You, you, you've healed her, you've healed her slightly. Here we go here. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Is our country ashamed today? When they allow same-sex marriage, it's abomination in God's eyes. Were they ashamed? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. We're not today. Bob was talking about the governor of Maryland. Did so many good things. But he ruined, in my opinion, all the good things by saying, I favor same-sex marriage. That's, that's rampant across our country and our nation today. Neither could they blush. I remember a day when we did things wrong, we blushed. People don't even blush anymore. They don't even see they're doing things wrong. They don't even blush anymore. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall in the time of their visitation. They shall be cast down. I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna move over. To verse 17. These are some more things that he's going to send upon them. For behold, I will send serpents, cockatrices among you, which will not be charmed. You can't charm them. You can't tame them. And they shall bite you, saith the Lord. Bad times for the people. I don't know what God has in store for America if we can't repent. But probably something this bad. When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. This is the prophet Jeremiah. He's called a weeping prophet. This is really bothering him. Because the voice of the cry of my daughter, of my people, because they that dwell in a far country, is not the Lord in Zion. Is not her king in her. Why have they provoked me to anger with the graven images and with the strange vantage? Folks, the next verse. Verse 20 gets right down to where we live, close to where we live today. Some self-examinations. It says the harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we're not saved. 
cold, hard words today for Israel and for America today. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. Verse 22, key verse today. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Now, this doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but it did to those people. Bomb was a gum extract from a balsam tree. It had great medicinal values. Considered to be worth twice its weight in silver. Great valuable thing. You hear the bomb talking about it in scripture. Uh, had great medicinal values. But here, Jeremiah is speaking symbolically. He's speaking spiritually. Not the physical bomb. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Can we ask today, is there no bomb in America? Folks, this is the bomb in America here. This is what we have. There is bomb in America. It also says, is there no physician there? Yes. His name is Jesus. Then why is the health of my daughter, of my people, not recovered? Why is America not recovered today? We have the bomb of America. We have Jesus. Why is America not recovered? Folks, it's time for me to close today. But I do believe if if we can't turn America around, I believe that we're heading for the judgment of God. I believe that we as a nation need to take a stand. It's not too late because I sense the Holy Spirit moving. I know it's too not too late. I don't want to get too late. If you read in Second Chronicles, one of my favorite scriptures, especially for revivals, seven fourteen, you can quote it by heart with me. It's not too late. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and most of all turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sins. Then will I heal their land. There's there's a little saying that I use a lot. I know that a lot of times we that love to witness have seemed overwhelmed. But we have to adopt this philosophy. I can't do everything. But I can do something. What I can do, I must do. And I must do now. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the power of your word. Father, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy upon each of us. For this wonderful body of believers that have gathered here today. Father, we pray that your word has gone forth, Lord. And and you said it would not return unto you void. Lord, it has done good today in this service. Father, we pray that you'd bless this, your body. Help each of us, Lord, to take a stand for righteousness. Father, to begin even at the polls that we would go and vote for those people who would espouse the Judeo-Christian values that we espouse. Father, help us to pray as never before that the, that the downward spiral would stop and our nation can turn to God. Father, bless each one, if there's one hurting in this service today, Father, we pray that you would touch them in a special way. Meet every need that's here today, and we give you praise and glory. For it's your name we pray. Amen. We ask if you would this morning.
to stand and turn in your songbooks to our invitation. Page 330. Only trust him. If you have any needs today, come to the altar. Thank you for coming today. We trust that you received a lesson by being with this friendly and this loving group of people to shine. And we trust that you'll have a good week this week. Bow with me as we dismiss and pray. Father, again, we thank you for the power of your word, for all that you do for us. We thank you, Father, for, again, for this family of believers. And we pray your blessing this week upon each one. Father, we pray that you uplift us, Lord, and bless us in a special way. Give us that word, Lord, that we might witness this week to someone who needs the gospel. Bless us now as we go our separate ways and keep us. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.